I'm an alcoholic. My name's Andy. And the reason I say that is because, well, my sponsor said that, and then <laughs> my best friend says that, and so I just said it too. But honestly, they used to say that they said it uh, because if I forget what I am, it won't matter who I am, I guess. So that's why I always say I'm an alcoholic first. So. And uh, my sponsor, his name was Andrew, so he used to call himself Alcoholic Andrew. And um, he wasn't my first sponsor. But anyway, I'll start from the beginning, I guess. How long am I supposed to speak? For like two days? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I haven't spoke for a while, so it should be interesting. But um, so I guess I started, I started drinking when I was like 14, I started drinking and um, I started doing like, my parents, they're normies. I'm from, I'm from, uh, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, and then when I was like one and a half, we moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And so I, um, that's the best childhood ever, man. I'm telling you. I swear, like when I go to heaven, it's gonna be like Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Like. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I, I just loved being a kid. I don't really like being an adult. I'm to be honest with you guys. I don't really like being an adult. I wish I could go back to being a kid. But, um, <laughs> so I think I had that Peter Pan syndrome for, like, a long time. But I've finally grown up. I'm an adult now. I have kids, so I have to grow up. But uh, I loved being a kid, man. It was, like, the best freaking thing ever, man. Because, like, in the 80s, when I was a kid... My parents would just let us go roam around. Like, I didn't have to stay in the house. Like, I, I'd be out in the neighborhood. And me and my brother, we'd, like, go down to the creek. There was this creek. We had lived on a dead-end street. And we'd go, like, dam up the creek. And, like, we'd, like, get all muddy and stuff. We'd, we'd always be riding our bikes, man. It was the 80s. Like, BMX, man. Like, there was this movie called Rad. And I was just like, yeah, I loved it, man. Like, Popping wheelies. I popped so many wheelies, I broke my damn bike. And then they just bought me the same bike again. A little blue huffy, you know? Anyway, but I don't know why I'm talking about this. But I just, I love being a kid, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I started drinking when I was like 14. When We, we moved to, to, uh, to uh, the Phoenix area when I was like 9, I think. 9 or 10. So... Um, and then after, and then, so we lived in Tempe, I lived in Tempe on like Baseline of McClintock, that's where I grew up in Tempe, and I went to Fees Junior High, and uh, Fuller Elementary, and all that stuff in there, in Tempe, and I went to Marcos Deniza for ninth grade, and then we moved to Chandler, Oh, which was like the worst thing ever, man. That's what that's when my life like went downhill when we moved to Chandler. We moved to Chandler like between ninth and tenth grade and my dad would like take me to school. He'd drive me to Tempe, so I was able to go to ninth grade in Tempe, but then I had to go to Chandler High in tenth grade. Oh my gosh, man, I didn't know anybody. I'm like a freaking I'm like fifteen years old and I don't know nobody. And I just like tried to like hang out with these kids from the neighborhood. But see, ever since I was a little kid, like, I just, 
I didn't give a shit about what anybody was ever talking about. I always had trouble with, like, socializing. Like, everybody would be talking about, like, playing their little games. And I remember in, like, second grade, they're, like, talking about divorce. Like, I'm divorcing you. This or probably because their parents were divorced or something. I don't know. So I just, I just could care less about what, what they were talking about. So, like, that's how it was in school. I just, like, I really had a hard time making friends. Like, I didn't feel like I ever fit in or I didn't really know what to say to people or how to, like, do small talk or anything, you know. I mean, I've gotten better now that I'm older, you know. I can, like, BS with people, but. You know, it's it's not easy for me to, like, just small talk and, like, schmooze with the crowd or with, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just like to sit there and just post up, you know. I used to say that I'm just posted up on a solo mission. I just go sit somewhere and then wait for other people to sit around me, you know. And if they don't, then, oh, well, I'm just, like, chilling on my own, you know. So that's how I was, you know. But, um, so that's kind of how... How I was when I was a kid, but so then, yeah, when I was like 14, or when I was in junior high, that was when I remember like these kids in junior high, they were like, there was this one girl, her name was Johnny, she'd be like, you don't get high, Andy, nature's way of saying hi, man, like all these people, <laughs> she'd draw this like marijuana leaf on my yearbook, and like nature's way of saying hi, and I was just like, that's what I want. I was listening to Snoop Dogg and all this stuff, and I'm like, I want to be a gangster. I want to be like, I want to be smoking weed and drinking 40s and like riding in a low rider and all this kind of stuff. The only thing is I was white, though, you know, so I don't know. When I was like, when I was in sixth grade, like we had to draw a picture of like of ourselves, and I drew a picture of a black guy. I drew a picture of myself as black. So, it's like, I always, like, never wanted to be myself. I always wanted to be somebody else, something else, you know. So, um, that was, that's kind of how it started. And then, like, the first time I ever got drunk, I think, was at a party. And I went to this party in junior high, and, like, everybody was drinking. And I had, like, Michelob, and I had to, like, choke it down. It was really gross. But uh, then I started drinking stuff like it was like my parents' stuff, like because my parents are normies, they don't drink really. I mean, they drink like maybe a few times a year or something, and they had like lick the alcohol in the garage, and then there was like this peach schnapps. It was in the cabinet, and I like I would make like margaritas with the margarita mix and I made like fuzzy navels orange juice and peach schnapps and doing these mixed drinks and stuff and that was my first drinks and like I never drank socially I always I drank alone my first drinks was like I drank alone like I drank for the effect because I wanted to see what it was like honestly like that that's probably why I like drank and did drugs because I everybody was talking about it I wanted to see what it felt like too you know, I want to know what it was like, you know, so I loved it. The first time I ever drank alcohol, I freaking loved it, man. It's just like everything's way out here, man. Like, you're just, like, insulated from everything. Like, nothing can touch you, you know. And even when you fall or hurt yourself, you don't even feel it. So it's just like, you know, <laughs> you don't feel shit. So um, I loved alcohol from the very beginning. And when I was 15... 
I, I guess I had alcohol poisoning. I had like seven shots of this old vodka that was in the garage. And I like puked and passed out on the floor. And my parents came home and found me on the floor. And I think that was, that was, I had alcohol poisoning because I was like in bed for a couple days. Just sick, like so sick. And, um, but like any normal person, you, you would think that like, you know, a normal person, they'd be like, I'm never doing that again. That thought never even crossed my mind to never do that again. Like, there was no way I was never going to drink again because I loved alcohol. And so, you know, drugs is a part of my story, too. I, I, I got into, like, marijuana when I was, like, fifth, like 16, I think. And then um, then I got into cocaine shortly after that and, and methamphetamines and you know, smoking crack and all that kind of stuff, so I got into that, and, um, I used to, like, huff paint, you know, <sighs> get the wah-wahs, I turned around, and it was just like, didn't this happen before, what the, I got, like, deja vu, it was crazy, and, um, it was bad, it was bad, like, drugs, like, really messed me up, seriously, that's, that's why I'm still acting like this, probably, but, um, <laughs> drugs, drugs messed me up, so, um, let's see, when I was, okay, so then, I got into drugs, I got really messed up on drugs, I was like, I, some days I'd be like drinking, I'd be like smoking weed, smoking crack, crystal, all that stuff all in the same day, just like, just doing anything, like, and I remember me and my friend, we'd always be like, we're not, we're not addicts or whatever. We're not like the guy with the brown paper bag or, or no. Oh no, we used to say because we don't buy it, because we would just. Like, <laughs> but then we started buying it, so it's like I don't know whoever paid for it. I mean, when I get my paycheck, because I like work at these jobs, I get fired for coming in drunk or stealing or like I had so many jobs. I used to always work at fast food because they didn't drug test, so I ended up getting fired or whatever. But my paycheck would go straight to like. Buying alcohol, buying drugs, doing all this stuff. And then I'd be out of money, and then we'd go back and get it fronted. Get it fronted. I don't ever know who paid the guy. I never paid him, you know? So, I don't know, but it was bad, man. It got really, really bad. And it wasn't really so much on the outside. I mean, I sold my, I sold my Super Nintendo for crack. I had this really nice Schwinn, like, uh like beach cruiser I sold that for crack like for like a 50 rock or whatever which like I got jacked by my friend I tried to buy a quarter pound I gave him like a like 200 bucks or something he was supposedly my friend he like just like totally like punked me out like he like didn't come back with nothing and like still to this day I gotta let it go man it was on my resentment list but, like, I, dude, I wish I would have just, like, stood up for myself with that guy. But, like, see, I would always let, like, people walk all over me, you know? I, I would let people always, like, make fun of me and mess with me. And they people used to pick on me, like, hardcore. Like, my drinking and drugging friends, they were always messing with me. They used to call me Peckerwood. That was my name, like, because I was, like, one of the only white people. They called me Peckerwood, you know? Even my best friend would call me Peckerwood. You know, and um, towards the end of my of my drinking, like I started standing up for myself. I started saying, "You know what? My name's Andy. Call me Andy." 
you know. And so he's like, okay, all right, Andy. He was such a dick, dude. I hate that guy. But you know what? I Thank God. God has kept me away from this guy. Like, I've never run into him ever again. I ran into his cousin one time. She's like, oh, Todd's, you know, here's his number. I never called that dude. I don't know. I looked him up on Facebook one time. He's like sitting there like flipping off Facebook. He's a piece of shit, this guy. And his cousin. His cousin's still in prison, too. Fucking piece of shit. But anyway, God bless him. You know, God bless those guys. You know, I got to forgive them, man. They're like two of my people that I hate, like most of all ever, like, but I have to continually forgive these people. Because I've even thought about, like, like waiting for this guy to get out of prison and be there and, like, kill his ass. You know, like, because just, but I can't do that. You know, I don't want to be like that. I'm a, I'm a godly Christian man. I'm trying to be a, a, a good person, you know, like. It's, it's hard, man. These resentments, you guys know, like, resentment is the number one offender, you know? So it gets me. It's and My dad's such a resentful a-hole, too, I'm telling you. Like, I must have got it from him. Like, he has he has trouble, like, just letting stuff go. He used to talk about, like, stuff from the 80s. Like, you know, it's like the 2000s or something. He's still stuck in the 80s. And I used to wonder, like, Dad, why don't you just let it go? And now I get it, because I'm, like, still thinking about shit from, like, 20 years ago. You know, it's like, so, it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to let these things go and just give it to God, you know. But I just got to give it to God. And honestly, you know what, if I actually did run into those guys, God, the Holy, like, the Holy Spirit, like, God probably would, like, take over. And I probably, it probably would be good, you know. So, anyway, I, um... My mom brought me to AA. I had seven minor consumption tickets and two DUIs before I turned 21. I always got pulled over. They knew my friend's truck. They knew my car. They knew if they pulled us over, there's going to be alcohol and drugs in the car. So, of course, they're going to pull us over every time they saw us. Chandler police. I got pulled over in Chandler, Payson, Tempe. Some horse cops freaking pulled us over in Tempe on Mill Avenue. Freaking got pulled over in Mesa like twice. I used to always get pulled over all the time, dude. I got in trouble so much with the cops all the time. They knew me. Like, they come to my house. I had three strikes before I was 16. Like, I used to, like, just steal shit just because I like to steal. Like, just for the heck of it, just to go steal things. Like, that was me. I was a thief, a liar, a cheat. I always wanted to cheat at anything. I never wanted to actually, like, actually work or do anything. I always just wanted to cheat. On my homework, everything. If I could get over on something, I would do it. Like, I would, you know. It's kind of bad because my job today is, like, so easy. And I get paid, like, good money. And I don't do shit, dude. I love it. I love my job. Anyway. Um, so, let's see. So, okay. So, I got, I, I came into AA when I was 20. 20 years old. My mom brought me into AA. I was on my second DUI. I was looking at, like, jail time, probably. You know, it was like a, an extreme DUI, you know. The first DUI, I ran into my, my friend's uncle's fence. I went, I went home to go get some chips and El Pato sauce. I was going to have some chips and salsa. And I came back, and I, I was drunk off my ass, and I, like, skirted around that. The corner, he lived on a gravel road, and I slid into the fence and hit his fence, and he called the police. And I got my first DUI. And then a month, or a year and a month later, I got my second DUI. Like, I was I was drinking uh, 
We had a Mad Dog 2020. I used to steal Mad Dogs. So you could just put it in your pants or whatever and walk out, you know. And so I had a Mad Dog 2020. I had a 40, I think, of St. Ides. And then I had a, I was starting another Mad Dog 2020. And, like, this car pulled up to us on the side. And they're like, and we rolled down the window. And they put a badge up. And we're like, shit. <laughs> and so we, like, put the, the, the cap on and put it under the seat. And just like, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, it was bad, dude. And I was like, as they were arresting me, I'm like, you guys ruined people's freaking lives, man. <laughs> you know, like. Well, the whole time, I'm the one ruining my life, you know? <laughs> so, that's what I said. I'm not, all this stuff's coming to me now. I forgot about all this stuff. I said, you guys ruin people's fucking lives, man. And so, yeah, I don't even remember anything. I was, like, in the drunk tank. I was just, I was gone. But, um, so then, yeah. My mom took me to AA, brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember I went to GIT in Chandler. Oh, yeah, my sobriety date is December 13th, 1999. I've never had to take a drink ever since then, man. Never found it necessary to take a drink or a drug. Yeah. 22 years. I'll have 23 years. December 13th. If I don't drink and I don't die, I'll have 23 years. So, um, so yeah, so... I started going to meetings, and then my, I heard, keep coming back. And there was this sign that said, hope is found here on the podium. And I started feeling like this vibe in the meeting because I was just like so paranoid. And I was so like stuck in my head thinking all this paranoid crap all the time and freaking out about stuff in my head. You know, on the outside, I probably look fine. But in my head, I'm just like, ah, you know, just crazy. So, um when I went into that AA meeting for the first time, you know, I thought it was a bunch of old people smoking cigarettes back then, you know, complaining about their problems. I was half right, you know, but I kept coming back because I had, I had to get this paper signed in the beginning because they said, you know, to show the, the judge or whatever. I wasn't ordered to AA, but the, my public defender said, you know, if you like take, have this paper signed so you can show the judge, you know, so. That's how I ended up going to AA, and um, I never, I never stopped going ever since, man. That was like probably like September, October of 1999, and I was still drinking though. Um, but then I didn't know it was gonna be my last drink. My last drink was December 12th, you know, 99. I, I went to the uh, Christmas party at my work, and I had like. A few drinks, like a couple of Heinekens, a couple of margaritas, and then afterwards I went and I like had a couple of hits off a joint at my friend's house, and that was it. I never knew that was gonna be my last drink, or else I probably would have went out like with a bang, you know. I would have like got really wasted, but that was it. I mean, the next day I went to this meeting, and it wasn't me. It was this was it was not me. It had it was God because I for some reason I heard get a sponsor. Get a, for some reason I got the idea to get a sponsor. So after the meeting, I went up to the guy chairing the meeting and I was like, "How do you get a sponsor?" He says, "Just ask somebody who has what you want." And I'm like, "Okay, how about you? You're it, man. Like, 
you got what I want. I mean, you're chairing the meeting or whatever. So he's like, okay, are you willing to go to any length to stay sober? And I said, yes. And he's like, here, he got, he got me my big book. I wish I had it. I forgot it. I was going to bring it. And he wrote, he said, write your name in the front. And I wrote my name. And then he, he said, he wrote my sobriety date, December 13th, 90, 1999. He wrote it in the book. And um, he told me, read the first 164 pages of the book and give me a call. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And so I did it. And I, um, I had to go to jail. I had to go to Tent City. And while I was sitting in Tent City, I'm reading the big book. I went to meetings. There's AA meetings in Tent City. And I was going to meetings in there. You know, and uh, it was just like, for some reason, it was just like the best time of my life. I'm telling you, it was just like, even though I'm in jail, you know, I'm sitting in the AA meeting and I'm like feeling just like on fire, man. Just this passion, you know. And so I think I was on this pink cloud for like a long time. I honestly was, you know. Maybe it wasn't a pink cloud. I don't know. But So... I, when I got out, I started going back to GIT, to my home group in Chandler, and I started, I never did 90 and 90. I went Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to the 5.30 meeting at GIT, the happy hour meeting. That's how I got sober. And I would go there, no matter what, I would go, I'd ride my bike, no matter what I had to do, I would make it to that meeting, you know, and, um, oh yeah, and that guy asked to be my sponsor, he, start, he took me through the first three steps. He was using, like, I don't know, like packets or whatever. I wrote a goodbye letter to drugs and alcohol. I wish I could find it. I don't know where it was, where it is, but there's some good stuff, man, in there. Sometimes if I go, I need to remember, I need to go back and read some of this stuff that I've written. I've written so much stuff throughout the years. I got, like, a stack of notebooks of all this stuff I've written down, you know. Because I didn't throw away my fourth step. My sponsor said to keep it. So so I can look at it, you know. And um, so I can help others, too. I can show them. Because that's what my sponsor did. He showed me his fourth step and showed me how to do it, you know. So anyway, yeah. And then this guy, he moved away. He took me through my first, like, two steps or something or three steps. And then my sponsor, Andrew, he, he came up to me and 12-stepped me. He's like... Um, do you know where the first step is in the big book? He's a big book thumper. He's like this guy. Right here. And he's like hardcore AA, man. Like, and that's what I am, honestly. I'm, I'm a thumper, man. Like, I'm all about it, dude. I love the big book. You know, I still have never read all the stories, though, honestly. I mean, don't tell anybody. But <laughs> I need to read all the stories at some point. But I've read the first 164, like, so many times. You know, I know it like the back of my hand almost, but... Except to wives, family afterward, and that stuff. But I need to learn that better. But anyway, um, so I read, you know, like I started going through the steps with this guy. And we would meet up once a week. We'd meet at like Starbucks or whatever. And we'd take the step as we got there in the book. You know, and um, I found what I was looking for. I, I had a spiritual awakening. As a result of these steps, I, I like, I remember like when I was out there, you know, I'd be like, what's the mystery of the universe, man? Like, why are we here? What's all this about? You know, I was, I'm, I'm a deep thinker, you know, like I'm always thinking about like, what is space, man? Like, why, why are we here? You know, and 
I figured it out. I found it in a group of drunks, man. I found God in a group of drunks, you know. And I found what I was looking for, you know, like my creator, the one that created me and created everything. And, and I read that part in the big book. I forgot to say, when I read the big book, I had never read anything that positive before in my entire life. Like, I, like when I read God is either everything or he is nothing, what was our choice to be? I was like, well, obviously this nothing stuff isn't getting me anywhere, so I'm going to have God be everything, you know? Because I, I was like Bill W. Like, I felt like God just, like, something had to create all this, but then he just, like, threw it out there and just deal with it yourself, guys, you know? Like, I didn't realize, I learned in the big book, that God actually cares about us, and he, and he like, can will work in our lives if we, like, talk to him and pray to him. I never knew about that. When I was a kid, I never paid attention in church. You know, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher, like, when adults were talking, it was just like, like, I could give a shit about what adults were talking about. Like, I didn't care. So boring, you know, especially my dad. I still, to this day, like, cannot listen to my dad, dude. I could, like, fall asleep listening. But, um, so, I, I heard, you know, I don't even know what I was saying. What was I saying? I don't know. I forget what I was talking about. The what? Oh, yeah. The group of drunks. Okay. So, um, yeah, I found God in a group of drunks. And then, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I was talking about my God stuff. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, we went to church when I was a kid. I never paid attention. And then uh, we got kicked out when I was, like, 12 because me and my brother used to ditch church. And they told me and my parents to never bring us back. Like, and my parents have still never been back to church ever. It's a Methodist church. So, uh, and I just didn't care anyway. I never wanted to go anyway because I didn't give a shit. I mean, I would, like, go into the next room and turn on the stereo and, like, just cause as much disruption as I possibly could. And that was what I did at school, too. I would just cause as much disruption as I possibly could. Because that's all I ever want to do is just disrupt shit. I didn't care about nothing else, dude. So, uh, um, so yeah, so then, so when I got to AA, I didn't know nothing about God. I didn't really care anything about God. I mean, I never did foxhole prayers. I didn't, like, think there was anything to even pray to, honestly. I mean, I, I thought it was just me. I just got me, and I got to figure it out myself. But I found in AA that there's a God I can rely on. I can pray to this God, and he'll help me, you know? And he has helped me, like, so much in my life. I know I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for God. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be alive anyway. Nothing would be here if it wasn't for God. But, but uh, I wouldn't have got sober. I know that. I know I would, probably wouldn't be married right now, you know? Um, I'd probably just be like just doing every like just horrible thing I could possibly do if I didn't have God in my life because that's the path I was headed I was like a hedonistic just selfish all I cared about was myself and all I ever wanted to do is just please myself and have fun and that's not God's will for my life man for me to just drink myself to death and do drugs and have sex with as many women as I possibly can and do all this stuff that I want to, that my flesh wants to do, that I want to do. Because that's what I, I really want to do. 
you know, but I do what God wants me to do today. Like, I wouldn't be standing here speaking in an AA meeting <laughs> if I didn't have God in my life, if I wasn't sober. There's no way. I'd probably be, I probably, I don't even think I'd be alive. I would have died a long time ago, probably. I don't even think I'd be here. I mean, my brother died. My brother died. That's been the hardest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, man. My brother was schizophrenic. My brother stabbed some girl to death. He stabbed some girl 51 times. Just some random girl. Paying for her nails at the nail salon. Just got her nails done. He came in, knocked her down, and stabbed her to death. And then the police caught up with him a month later. I saw him. I saw him on TV. And I called silent witness on him. I did the right thing. I called I call the police. I said, that's my brother. And they, they like, uh, raided his house or whatever. They, like, came in, and he ran at him with a knife, and they sh- a knife. Probably the same knife he killed the girl with. And they shot him and killed him out in the street like a dog. My brother died, man. You know, my younger brother. He was 36 years old. So, honestly, after that happened, I just was like, fuck God, dude. Like, I didn't really fucking care about anything anymore. I didn't for a long time. I I just didn't care about nothing. I started listening to just, like, crazy music again and was pissed off. I was waiting for somebody, waiting for somebody to fuck with me because I was going to hurt somebody really bad. You know, and thank God nobody messed with me or anything, you know. I did take it out a lot of my family, though. I really did. And, you know, I, I've struggled with anger, like, my whole sobriety. Like, ever since I was a kid, I've struggled with anger. And I was 17 years sober, and my, my wife called the police on me. And I ended up going to jail at, seven, at 17 years sober. I got let off in handcuffs because of my anger, because how out of control I get. And that was before my brother died, you know. And then after he died, it was just, my dad had a stroke and almost died. Thank God he lived. And COVID happened. All this horrible shit has happened in my life, man. And I haven't had to drink, man. I have not had to drink even when I felt like I didn't even care about God anymore. God was still there. He was still there for me. And even to this day when I think about like that poor girl that my brother killed for no reason. But he wasn't in his right mind. He was out of his mind. And um, I just I haven't had a drink. And, and I just know that I, I'm, I'm getting close. I'm getting back to God again. You know, I just, I felt like on fire when I was driving to this meeting tonight, man. I felt like the old days. I was listening to, like, this Christian, like, heavy metal stuff that I listened to, and I was getting all fired up and just having that faith like I used to have, you know, because I was at the point, like, before all that stuff happened, I was at the point where I was just, like, on fire for God. I used to go out in the streets, and, you know, I... I became a born-again Christian, like, after I got sober, like, a year and a half after I got sober, and I gave my life to Christ, and, like, just this whole world opened up for me, and, like, 
I used to go out on the street and like share Jesus with people and do all this stuff and just and then after my brother died man it was just like mm. so I'm getting back to that again I'm getting back to that faith I had again and, and um, it's been a long time it's been a long process man but uh, the the steps, man, the steps work. You know, the the somebody described it as there's you and there's God and there's all this stuff in the middle and the steps helps clear away all that stuff out of the way. You know, and I when I did my fourth step, well, I did my third step with my sponsor. We both got on our knees and we said the third step prayer, and then I I worked on the fourth step and I was. It took me like nine months to do my four step. I put it off a lot. But I had 271 resentments. I just looked at it right now. <laughs> I forgot the number. But I think I overkilled it a little bit. Like I think I did. I thought back to like as far. I, I think I was resentful at almost every single person I ever came into contact with in my life almost. <laughs> like I just hated everybody, you know. And so... I finally got done with that, and my sponsor was like, you can do it with whoever you want, the fifth step. And I decided to do it with him, and I think I met up with him like twice, and we went over the stuff, and we cleaned house, you know, I cleaned house with him. And, and I started seeing these patterns in my life of these things that I would do, like the jealousy and the, the anger and different things, and I identified all that stuff. And I shared my deepest, darkest secrets with my sponsor, held nothing back. Um, and I had a spiritual awakening after I did the fifth step, man, and then I started, I did six and seven afterwards, he had me go home and get quiet, you know, and think about what we talked about, and then I said the seventh step prayer, and then I, I made my list, I made my eighth step list, and I, uh, started making my amends, and when I started making my amends, that's when God became real for me, that's when I really started seeing God working in my life. For the first time in my life, I'd never, like, it was so amazing because, like, God would put these people in my life, and I'd be like, you were, I just wrote about you on my fourth step. I was just thinking about this, and this guy's, like, in my life that I hadn't seen, like, since I was a kid. This guy, I ended up seeing some guy just in a random spot, and I got to make amends to him, and it was just the most amazing experience going back to all these places. It was for me, anyway. I mean... I know some people, you know, maybe it's hard for them, but for me, it was just like, I went back to all these places I used to steal from, and I got to just say, hey, I, I used to, I stole from you guys, like, is there anything I could do to make it right, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it right, and my biggest amends was my next door neighbor, me and my friend, we had like stole guns, guns and jewelry from them, and all this stuff, we robbed their house, and, um, it was like seven years later, thank God. It was like statutes of limitations, like so I couldn't get in trouble, I think, or else I wouldn't have did it, probably because they say, like, if it's going to injure other people, like, you shouldn't do it or whatever. But I, 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 the night before, I knew what I was going to do, and I swear I felt God in my room that night. I felt the presence of God in my room. And the next morning, I got up and, and I called up my neighbor and I said, hey, you know, I was the one that robbed your house. I didn't say nothing about my friend. I said, I robbed your house, and I'm living a, a different life today, you know, and, and I want to make it right. What can I do to make it right? And 
All he wanted back was their class rings. So he sent me the order for him, and I got I ordered him him and his wife their class rings back because my friends stole their freaking class rings. It wasn't even me, but I was there, you know, and I was a part of that. So I did it, you know, and uh, that was my biggest amends I've ever did. And he wrote me a letter like that said I could use him as a character reference, and he said it like took a lot of courage what I did, and it was just like this most amazing letter. And I don't have it anymore because when my car got stolen. It was in my car, you know. The only thing left when they found my car was my big book. That was the only thing that was left when they found my car in Maryville or whatever. They left my big book for me. They stole my 12 and 12, but they left the big book. I don't know. Go figure, whatever. So I still have that big book to this day, my original big book. And um, I used to keep that letter in there, but it's, it's not in there anymore, but. That was just like, that's my sobriety. And then I did, you know, 10, 11, and 12, the gross steps. I used to call them the maintenance steps, but this guy had to school me. It's the gross steps because we continue to grow, you know. And honestly, my sponsor started me off on step 11, which I know some people don't believe in that, but he started me reading pages 86 through 88, you know, so I, I read when we retire at night, and then in the morning, I would read Upon Awakening, and all the way to the end, and I did that, like, for years, I read that, every day, and, like, changed my life, changed my life, this, this prayer and meditation, I've struggled with meditation, I really have, but I know when I do meditate, I feel so much closer to God, so much closer, so much better. And um, 12 step, I've struggled with that. I haven't sponsored that many people, but honestly, God, it's like I, I feel like when the student is ready, the teacher appears, or or the other way around. Maybe when I was ready, I'm like sponsoring this guy now. I've been sponsoring, and then before that, I sponsored this other guy, and I took him through all the steps. So it's not like I've never had like 10 guys all at once or whatever. It's usually I'll. There's like one person or two people every once in a while I'll get, you know. But then, but right now I'm sponsoring this guy and I took him through the steps and it was good because I hadn't gone through the big book like that for a long time and it's really, it's really helped me. My sponsor used to always say, you know, you know, you're helping me more than I'm helping you. And that's what I tell him too, you know, you're helping me more. And he's like, I don't know how that's possible. But it is, you know, like he's helping me. He's helping me stay sober and remember all this stuff again. So, man, I can't believe I talked that long, man. Holy crap. Anyway, so that's my life, man, and pretty much. So I'm married. I got three kids. That's been a blessing. It's also been hard, too. Whew, marriage is hard, man, for me anyway. <laughs> Because I'm hard to live with, and so is she, I think. So, But we're getting along better now. We're working on it. We're seeing marriage counselor right now. and It's gotten a lot better. It really has. It's it's going good now. My life is getting so much better. and The world's going to shit. But hey, my life's getting better. You know? So, anyway, with that, I'll pass. <laughs>